good day and thank you for standing by. Welcome to Viva Systems Fiscal 2022 Second Quarter Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in the listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. And as a reminder, this conference is being recorded. I would now like to hand the conference to the speaker to give the forward-looking statement. Thank you. Good afternoon and welcome to Viva's Fiscal 2022 Second Quarter Earnings Conference Call for the quarter ended July 31st, 2021. As a reminder, we posted prepared remarks on Viva's Investor Relations website just after 1 p.m. Pacific today. We hope you've had a chance to read them before the call. Today's call will be used primarily for Q&A. With me today for Q&A are Peter Gassner, our Chief Executive Officer, Paul Shawa, EBP Commercial Strategy, and Brent Bowman, our Chief Financial Officer. During the course of this call, we may make forward-looking statements regarding trends, our strategies, and the anticipated performance of the business. These forward-looking statements will be based on our current views and expectations and are subject to various risks and uncertainties. Our actual results may differ materially. Please refer to the risks listed in our earnings release and the risk factors included in our most recent filing on Form 10-Q. Forward-looking statements made during the call are being made as of today, September 1, 2021, based on the facts available to us today. If this call is replayed or viewed after today, the information presented during the call may not contain current or accurate information. Viva disclaims any obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statements. On the call, we may also discuss certain non-GAAP metrics that we believe aid in the understanding of our financial results. A reconciliation to comparable GAAP metrics can be found in today's earnings release and in the supplemental investor presentation, both of which are available on our website. With that, thank you for joining us, and I'll turn the call over to Peter. Thank you, Atto, and welcome to the call, everyone. It was another great quarter for Viva with strength across the business. Total revenue was up 29% to $456 million. Subscription revenue was also up 29% to $366 million. Non-GAAP operating income was $192 million, or 42% of total revenue. As noted in my prepared marks, we did well in our established areas, but also had major progress in our newer areas, including safety, CDMS, digital trials, link, and data cloud. At this point, I'd like to open up the call to questions for Brent, Paul, or myself. And ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask questions, please press star and the number one on your telephone. Again, if you would like to ask questions, press star one on your telephone. For our first question, we have Rishi Jaluria from RBC. Rishi, your line is open. 
Wonderful. Uh, th thanks so much for, for taking my questions, and, and, and nice to see some acceleration in the business. Uh, wanted to, to Peter, talk in, in your prepared remarks, you talked a little bit about how uh, there's some shrinking footprints uh, and deployments at some of the uh, on, on the CRM side. Uh, can you maybe talk about how long you expect this headwind to last? Uh, you know, in terms of uh, shrinking before it starts to stabilize. You know, and, and alongside that, you, you talked a little bit about it, but um, you know, commercial cloud growth still accelerated in the quarter, which is really nice to see in spite of these uh, headwinds. Can you, can you maybe talk about what is driving that and, you know, maybe offsetting um, the, the shrinking footprints and, and particularly what you're most excited about within commercial cloud and, you know, what you think is, is kind of a, a sustainable growth rate for this business? And then I've got to follow up on the CDMS side. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, thanks, Rishi. This is Paul. Uh, yeah, so just to give you uh, give you a little bit of color, if you remember back uh, probably two or I think it was Q3 of last year, we started talking about the idea that we were helping to make the industry more efficient. We were helping the industry move to digital, and as we did that um, in in an accelerated fashion, they would realize the productivity and the efficiency gains of doing that, and there would there would likely be some reductions uh, coinciding with that. Uh, you know, we, we hadn't seen them up until actually this quarter, so we started seeing some of the first uh, reductions from a, a small number of our enterprise customers uh, had had some reductions that uh, were a little bit out of the out of the ordinary. So uh, we just started seeing it this quarter. I expect we'll continue to see it through the second half of this year and also into uh, into next year. Um, we we do expect that we'll offset uh, those reductions as we have this quarter. Uh, with strength really broadly across commercial cloud, uh, you know, we're going to continue to gain share in CRM. We gain share in CRM this quarter. Uh, I expect we'll continue to do that over time, and then uh, we'll see strength in the add-ons uh, and some of, some of the newer products that you heard Peter talking about, particularly in the data space like Link. Link had uh, a particularly strong quarter, and that's uh, progressing really well. Uh, CrossX will be a, a contributor, and then over the long term, we'll see more contribution from, from data cloud. So a lot to be excited about going forward. All right, all right, wonderful. That's that's really helpful. Uh, and then on, on the CDMS side, uh, and maybe I want to expand and talk a little bit about uh, your your success in, in partnering with CROs because you know if we rewind the clock back a couple of years, there were there were definitely investor concerns that you know CROs were were going to be a little bit of a headwind uh, to Viva over time, and, and clearly hasn't turned out to be that way. And, and you know now you're talking about the traction you're seeing on on CRO partner program, is, you know, and, and and how that relates to CDMS. Can you talk a little bit about your strategy with CROs, particularly as it relates to, to the CDMS side, um, and, and how you've been able to gain that uh, momentum with that as a channel? Thanks. Uh, I'll take that one. This is Peter. Yeah, CROs will be a especially important partner for CDMS because when, that, when CDMS becomes a part of their tech stack that they can offer to their customers, it, it's really an efficient channel. So how are we gaining traction there? I would say number one by actually product excellence, creating a better truly cloud CDMS product that's integrated in with the other Viva products. So as that has happened, um, you know, the, the sponsors, they'll start asking the CDMS, the CROs, sorry, they'll start asking the CROs about that. Hey, are you offering Viva? You know, Maybe you should be offering Viva. We're using Viva. And then um, the CROs, they start to get to know more about Viva, and then they start offering Viva as a first experimentally as a, as a, as a product. If a sponsor would want it, 
And then as they start to like it and see the efficiencies, then they start to make it their standard. So it's really about customer success for the CRO. That's about having an excellent product, but also having a great partner program and providing them the support that they need. Right. Wonderful. Thank you so much. For our next question, we have Brian Peterson from Raymond James. Brian, your line's open. Uh, thanks for taking the question. So, so maybe just a follow-up on Rishi's question. But, um, you know, I'm just curious on, on, on the, the timing of some of the sales rep trends for some of your customers. Like, how, how did that trend versus your expectation, and, and how pervasive is that? I guess I'm trying to think about, you know, where, where that impact's going to come in and how to think about what that could be in, in maybe fiscal year 23 and beyond. Yeah, so, um, you know, in terms of timing, we, we talked about it as happening over, you know, the one to two years. Uh, it's not an exact science, and we see a lot of our customers really thinking about the, you know, the, the industry hasn't hit a, a new steady state. Uh, so if you remember, the industry was largely face-to-face, -face, and now there was a massive shift to digital, and things are still in flux. A lot of things are changing with access to offices as, you know, the pandemic and continues and lingers on. So uh, if you're a life sciences company, you don't want to overcorrect in one direction or the other too quickly. So that's why you're seeing uh, a lot of this just, just take some time for companies to be a little bit thoughtful about, uh, you know, what's the right size of, this, of the, the fuel sales force. But in general, on average, we, we do see we are seeing our customers getting the benefit of becoming more digital. I think that trend is here to stay. That will happen uh, over the long term. And I think uh, they'll, they'll take, you know, these reductions over the next, still over the next one to two years. Uh, so I think that time frame, and I think once we kind of hit a new steady state, I don't anticipate it changing uh, much beyond that. Uh, so, you know, these are always reductions that we thought would happen as the industry became more efficient. We're just seeing them a little bit faster uh, than we had anticipated. And, Paul, what would be, like, if you're thinking about the total investments that they're going to make, right, you can think about the efficiencies they're going to gain maybe from, you know, attacking something with lower headcount, but there's a lot of opportunity to, to take some of those dollars and redeploy it. So, so what have some of the customers maybe learned or how are they thinking about, you know, attacking the opportunity with more of a digital motion? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It's the, the right way to think about it. So as we make, let's say, as we're able to make an individual company, let's say 10 or 15 or 20% more productive, because they're able to mix more digital in, because they're able to accomplish more, they have the option, right? They have the option to reduce their, their size by that same amount, or they have the option to take some of those gains and apply them just to reaching more customers. Uh, so that is the calculus, and those are the kinds of discussions that we have with our customers all the time. Um, you know, our strategy teams, our business consulting teams, in terms of what's the right mix, the right mix of digital and field force engagement, and, you know, we're, we're in active discussions with many of our customers on, on those kinds of things. Um, and I think it'll, it'll be a mix for most customers. They will not take all of the, the, the productivity gains as reductions. They'll, it'll be a, bit, a mix based on geography and therapeutic area uh, and, you know, the specific needs of each uh, business. Thank you. For our next question, we have Brent Bracelin from Piper Sandler. Brent, your line is open. Uh, thank you, and good afternoon. Uh, I guess one for Peter and one for, for Brian, if I could. Uh, Peter, Synchty really stood out this quarter, I think, with uh, your first top 20 win. 
Um, do you think about that win as, as one of the early adopters? I mean, it seems like safety is happening here maybe a little faster than I would anticipate it. And, and just wondering if, if that win with the first top 20 is just an early adopter or are you seeing a stronger interest and appetite to uh, roll out that safety vault uh, suite of products? Um, and then again, one quick follow-up for Brent. Uh, it's, we do have early adopters. You know, we have a number of customers, but, but smaller, and we have divisions of some large customers. But this was the first one to go all in with us, the first top 20 to go all in with us for safety. You never know when that's going to happen. Um, the timing has to be right from the customer's perspective. They have to have a real need. To want to go early, they have to have a real need. And our product has to be ready, and the stars have to align. I. I thought it would happen sometime in the next, sometime, you know, this year or early next year. And it happened, so it happened a bit quicker than I thought. But not, we would never take a deal like that before we were ready, right? We would turn down a deal like that if we weren't ready. Um, so it happened just at the right time with just the right customer, and it is going to be a positive. But I don't see it as a, uh, I see it as a turning point for Viva but it's not going to be a turning point in revenue and adoption. That still happens on its, on its normal, normal life cycles. You'll, you'll really see the impact of this deal and the follow-through on this deal. Honestly, it's two three, two, three years down the road. That's when it really starts moving the market. You, you saw this with CDMS. Um, this was maybe a year and a half or so ago uh, where we announced our first enterprise top 20 for CDMS. And now what you're seeing is the, the echoes of that follow-through in, in our broad CDMS adoption. Super helpful color there. And then I guess, uh, Brent, for you, uh, referenced kind of a tight labor market. I think that's being referenced quite a bit. Um, just trying to, to think through the 5% salary increase. You know, never really done this before. But uh, as you think about that, is that tied to – you know, a proactive view to kind of stem churn? Was it reactive? Just trying to think about that 5% salary increase, particularly as it relates to, I think, Workday last week also uh, was shifting some, some, some dollars out of stock-based comp to cash and just didn't know if there was a broader trend happening in the Bay Area or not. But uh, could you talk a little bit about that 5% salary increase and is that proactive, reactive, just trying to understand the, the logic there and timing? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, proactive. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're doing the right thing by our employee base. And, you know, we're in unusual times a bit um, with inflationary and, and a very competitive environment. So, you know, we took a look at that, and uh, we thought that it, the timing was right and um, to, to make this investment in our people. So it's, you know, effective as of today. And, Brent, I would, I would add uh, – we're pretty international as a company, so, you know, we have a, a high percentage of you know, almost half of our people outside the U.S. And inside the U.S., our concentration is not really in the Bay Area. Right? We have development centers, multiple development centers, Toronto, uh, you know, Boston, Raleigh, and a lot of our field people on the East Coast. So not having to do with the Bay Area per se, it was, as Brent mentioned, uh, proactive and broad-based. Helpful, Carl. Thank you. For our next question, we have Ken Wong from Gagan Securities. Ken, your line's open. Great, fantastic. Uh, maybe just a follow-up on that. Uh, so 
you know, I think we you, you quantified the, the 10 million impact on on EBIT for the for the year. Just wondering how we should think about any potential impact on on maybe the services revenue. Should we generally just kind of bump up our services run rate that we're modeling? Uh, any thoughts on that, Brent? And then at a follow up for Peter. Yeah, I mean, I just it's a, there's a nominal impact there on the on the services revenue from that perspective. I mean, it's something that it's normal course of business that we do flow that through on the services side, but nothing significant that that I think warrants a change in your model. Got it, got it. And and then uh, I guess another kind of follow on on that on that vein. I, I I think I read in the script there, Peter, that you mentioned not raising prices for software or data at this time, and you guys have never raised prices in your history. Just just wondering if that's something that you're contemplating with, with as you mentioned, inflation, the salary bump. Uh, is that something that might be in consideration down the line? Uh, that's a good question. Our, our philosophy has always been, you know, get the right price for our product and, and try not to increase the, the prices of our subscriptions. We, we haven't uh, increased them because customers generally don't like it, and we try to get efficient and deliver more more value. Uh, and we like to uh, maintain doing that, and we think we can. Now, could we do that forever? You know, that depends on how many years out in the future and, and, and what inflation does. But certainly for the foreseeable future, we don't anticipate raising our prices for our subscriptions. Great. Thanks a lot, you too. For our next question, we have Stephanie Davis from SVB. Stephanie, your line's open. Thank you guys for taking my questions. Congrats on the quarter. I was hoping you could give us some broader directional views on your digital trial suite, especially in light of the Delta variant. Could the macro backdrop result in a faster pace of adoption, and does that impact your investment speed or priorities in light of that? Okay. Thanks, Stephanie. I'll, I'll take that. So digital trials is really about all types of trials, so not really uh, related to COVID or the um, or the Delta, or the Delta variant, uh, it's about making the trials faster um, and less expensive. So we have a target of 25% faster, 25% less expensive, and how we're going to do that is have it be really patient-centric and really paperless. So you might hear about something, you know, the category called decentralized clinical trials. There's a lot of talk about that. That's an area where Viva is in too, but we're taking a broader, broader approach, the overall digitizing the whole clinical trial, starting from the sponsor side, the clinical data management, clinical operations, to the clinical research side, and then right out to the patient. So that's how we think about it, Stephanie, really broad and very long term. And then a, uh... I kind of have to ask the flip side of the sales rep headcount reduction question, but you've been beating margins healthily despite this kind of looming fear over the past few quarters. What's been driving this outpaced margin expansion, and uh, how sustainable is it? Yeah, hi, Stephanie. <clears throat> so regarding the margin, I mean, there's a few things that um, drove the, the outperformance. Um, one is, you know, the, the top-line subscription beat is, is flowing through. And there is some lumpiness on the timing of our new data suppliers. We had one that we thought would close in Q2, and it actually closed in August. Um, so that, that is some timing that played in, and that's factored into our guidance going forward. And then timing of hiring. Um, we hired 236 uh, net employees in the quarter. 
and we're slightly behind plan, um, and we're looking to catch up in the back half of the year as well. So that all kind of got contemplated into the beat in the quarter and then kind of how you think about the guide for the balance of the year. All right, helpful. Thank you, guys. Thank you. For our next question, we have Dylan Becker from William Blair. Dylan, your line is open. Questions here. I guess maybe first one um, from a higher level for Peter. You touched on it kind of in the, in the prepared remarks, but thinking about, again, kind of your your partnership approach with, with not only your business consulting segment, but all, as well as kind of with the CROs, I guess love to understand how you guys are thinking of these as vectors to not only kind of drive that adoption of the existing platform, but also kind of as, as drivers of your, your innovation efforts over time, right? You, you've talked a lot about kind of the strategic partnership approach, but um, would love to kind of understand how you're kind of viewing this to drive that, that innovation roadmap. Yeah, it is. Um, excellent question. I'll take the CROs first. Uh, we are partnering tightly with the CROs to, yes, serve our customers to, to leverage the CROs as a channel, but also we can get very direct feedback with, from the CROs. And we've, we've done that, um, including the CROs more as part of our design process, having talking directly to our product teams, and just get that tight feedback loop going. We've put some great effort on that, and it's paying off. Now, business consulting, that's a little bit different. These are our consultants, our, our billable consultants that are doing uh, business process work with our customers. So there also we have a, a tight feedback because as our customers on the business side are, are talking with our business process consultants about the process changes they would like to make or the change management they would like to do, that's sometimes translating into requirements into our product or ideas into our product. Uh, so I would say it's been a great addition to Viva, this business consulting, and it is impacting our product roadmap for the better. Fantastic. That's excellent to hear. And then maybe one for um, for Paul, and, and I think we've touched on this in the past too, but we've talked about the payment integration kind of into CDMS, a nice kind of extension of the platform given that unified approach to, to the clinical suite. But I'd love to understand how you guys are thinking about that payments opportunity more broadly uh, through the ability to expand use cases, and then what, how have you guys seen that from an initial adoption perspective, given that uh, CTMS in its own right is kind of still relatively early uh, of an offering to the platform. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah was, Peter, I'll take the payments one. Payments as it relates to our clinical operations, you're right, that's, it's going well, but it's early because payments requires our CTMS product. CTMS is still relatively early uh, in our life cycle. Um, so the idea behind payments is to automate the payments to the clinical research sites based on the activities done, and that's where it's, you know, especially useful for the customer to get their clinical operations and their clinical data management from Viva because the clinical data management, uh, that creates the activity, then it gets passed over into the clinical operations, and then the payment gets sent out automatically, um, and that's the value that the whole suite provides. So payments is going well, but still very early. Great. Thank you guys for taking the question. For our next question, we have Carl Kirsted from UBS. Carl, your line is open. Hey, Brent. So, Brent, um, Viva beat this quarter on both revenue and billings, but relative to the last three or four quarters where you put up 
four to six percent beats on revs and seven to ten percent beats on billings. Uh, this quarter was a little skinnier, and I, I'm wondering what, what changed uh, to uh, create that result uh, relative to your expectations. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Hi, Carl. Yeah. So, um, you know, we did, as you said, we did beat um, our guide. Um, you know, we were very pleased with the 29% um, year-on-year growth. Um, and, you know, commercial cloud at 22% and vault at 37%. So we are ha very happy with how we executed. An area um, that made a call out is on the services side. Um, we did talk about last quarter that we were running at a very high utilization rate and that we expected that to normalize a bit, and, and that definitely happened um, in the quarter. Uh, on top of that, what we saw was an increased amount of PTO, not only on the, on the Viva delivery side, but also our customers. So services came in within a guide, but on the lower end. But all in all, we're, we're very happy with the demand picture that we saw for the, for the quarter. Great. Thank you, Brent. And then if I could just ask you a margin question. So you've, you indicated that um, the salary increase uh, will occur over um, five months of this fiscal year. So if we annualize that, should we think about the impact on next year's margins, um, all else equal being a roughly $25 million uh, impact? And then I guess if we layer that into our models and assume a um, reversal, if you'd like, of the COVID savings you're experiencing this year, it feels like the, the, the more likely prospect is for margins to be down uh, next year as a result of these two things. Is that at least directionally the correct uh, approach, Brent? Yeah, I'm not going to provide a guide on margins for next year, but what I can say is uh, you're right in your rough sizing. It's about $2 million a month um, related to uh, the 5% increase. Um, and then time will tell on our, our travel uh, uh, and event uh, savings that we see. You know, we have up 200 basis points um, in our margin this year. Over time, some of that will come back into play, and time will tell. Awesome. Okay. Thanks for that call. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Carl. For the next question, we have Sterling Audie from J.B. Morgan. Sterling, your line is open. Uh, thanks, guys. This is Jackson. You're on for Sterling tonight. Um, First question is on the strength in the SMB that you saw in the commercial cloud. Um, how should we be thinking about kind of the direction here of strength in SMB versus the headwinds on the enterprise side for the for the rep counts? Is there any worry that that you know this strength in the SMB might feed its way into the same territory we're seeing in the enterprise? Yeah, hey Jack, uh, this is Paul. So yeah, you're you're right. We have uh, we're con continuing to see really good strength in in the SMB and the SMB. The, the the new companies in SMBs tend to be pre-commercial companies, companies that are launching their first medicine, uh, and you know we're we're winning the vast majority of those. Uh, you heard us talk about this concept of commercial cloud accelerator, where we're helping customers in a sense go, a uh, sense all in on uh, a broad set of Viva products and services, all up front, all at once. So uh, one thing we're seeing is the, the, the size of the deals with these customers. We're, we're seeing kind of a longer-term emotional commitment and broader size and strength. Uh, we're also seeing that we're, you know, we're consistently winning the vast majority of them. So SMB is driving a lot of strength, and it's driving also a lot of future opportunity as many of these companies will will grow and, and, and expand into bigger companies over time. 
Um, you know, in terms of will they look like an enterprise in terms of rep reductions? Some will, and, and maybe for different reasons, uh, as you know, the kind of their the, their market position and, and what happens with their medicine in the marketplace, and whether they continue to have you know traction in the market or not. Um, but I think in general, the reductions that we have been seeing have largely been on the enterprise side because they're established sales forces. The SMB will scale over time to the right size, uh, whereas an established company may have to do some adjustments as they become uh, more productive. So I think it'll be different uh, than the enterprise side. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And then a uh, quick follow-up on the, the second CDMS deal with the top 20 pharma. Um, just any additional color you can give as to how this compares to the first? Is it, you know, a broader implementation? Uh, you know, is it standard, standardizing the trials on the Viva platform? Any additional color would be great. Thank you. Yeah, on that, that second, this is Peter, on the second CDMS win. Um, different companies than the first, but similar needs and similar approach, similar rollout approach. Um, they really need to modernize their, their environment. They, they had an environment that wasn't modern and it was fractured with a lot of point solutions and it just started slowing them down over time and they realized, wow, they need to really replumb the thing. So they uh, piloted with a few uh, studies to kind of both to test it out but to change their internal processes <clears throat> because when you move to Viva for CDMS, it's an, for example, it's an agile clinical study building environment. It's not a waterfall environment. It's an agile cloud-based environment. So there's a lot of change management to happen, um, but, but now they're starting to put all their studies on Viva. So very similar to the, to the previous one. Great. Thank you. For our next question, we have Donald Hooker from K-Bank Capital Market. Uh, great. Uh, good, good evening. Um, so I just wanted to kind of follow up on the pharma sales reps pressures. I wanted to hear, I, I didn't think I heard, would love to hear is this kind of a large pharma thing or, or kind of maybe a little bit more clarity where you're seeing the sales pharma sales rep pressure. And, and is, there possible, is there a possible explanation here that, that pharma is outsourcing more sales reps um, and sort of using third parties like Cineos and other CSOs as a shared service that could result in that pressure? Yeah, you know, it, it, it does tend to be a little more heavily weighted towards the larger of the enterprise companies, again, companies that have established sales forces across diverse portfolios, many of them being larger sales forces where they establish for the more traditional primary care model. So think, you know, more traditional medicines where they have to reach large volumes of primary care physicians. Uh, they have larger sales sources. They tend to be the first place where they'll start to see some reductions uh, because those, those field forces may have been, been sized, you know, for a different time in a, in a different era where there was less digital. And now as we move into more digital, they, they have the opportunity to start to, you know, gain, achieve some of, those, uh, some of those reductions. So I think primarily it will be in the enterprise. Again, you will see some right-sizing in, in smaller and mid-sized companies. Um, so that, you know, the, the primary driver is kind of right-sizing and taking productivity and efficiency gains and being able to apply them 
so they have the right mix uh, in terms of their go-to-market. And then um, in terms of the uh, contract sales organizations, I don't think we've seen a, a major trend there. Now, that's going to vary a little bit by region by region, but we haven't seen a major trend towards outsourcing at this time. Okay. And then maybe just as a follow maybe kind of a higher level, kind of a little bit of a random question, but I would love to hear your perspective if you have any on uh, sort of a commercial IRB space. I guess we saw a recent S1 filing by um, a large, I guess, WCD clinical, a large IRB, and I know you have relationships in that area um, with some of the some of the bigger ones, and would love to hear your perspective as to whether this could be a growth vertical for Viva going forward, or how you sort of think about that space as a, a, a growth market, either organically, inorganically, or through partnerships. So I haven't heard you talk about that in the past. Right. The IRBs, these are organizations, um, they're centralized IRBs and localized IRBs to review the ethics of a clinical trial before the clinical trial starts. So that's a very important function. That's an area where we don't provide those types of services. And also we don't provide software to those they need to have pre-specialized software. We don't that's an area where we don't where we don't play at this time. As to you know what we would do going forward, we're always looking for places where we could add value. We don't have any uh, specific you know concrete product plans in the IRB area at this time. Okay, thank you. Our next question, we have Brad Salas from Bofa Securities. Your line's open. Oh, great. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Congratulations uh, on a nice quarter here, uh, certainly for Vault. Um, and I wanted to ask about, um, about that a little bit. Um, the regulatory one business sounds, sounds like you've had a couple of good deals there. Could you, just, could you provide a little bit of color on this top five CPG uh, deal was this a new customer, or was an existing customer adding adding uh, another department? And then just more broadly, kind of where are we within CPG? That seems to be the industry where you you've seen you saw early traction and you continue to see some good results there. Um, is it just uh, you know an opportunity here to win more new business there, or is it largely an expansion opportunity within some of these bigger accounts that you already have? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I would say it's both. Um, it's there are more large CPGs. There's a few that we aren't in. Um, we're probably in, in some form or another, oh, well, you know, maybe almost half of the, uh, the large ones. I guess maybe at least a third, between a third and a half of the large ones. But then it's, so there's some more to get, brand new logos, but then it's exp expansion uh, because they're very divisional in how they operate. So the win we had, that was a, a regional division actually have a, of a large CPG company, and they went with us because of uh, success that they had in, a, in another division. That's generally how it op how it operates uh, in CPG. Very very large, very distributed company. Thanks, Peter. One more, if I may, please, just on um, quality and regulatory. They, they continue to uh, remain strong here. These have been a couple that have been very uh, early drivers of growth with Vault. You've seen some real success there early on, and it continues to be an enduring driver. Where are we in terms of uh, industry adoption of, of those of those offerings and just the categories in general? Thank you so much. Yeah, I would say we're, we're early, still early. Um, 
early in regulatory, uh, just because these are these are heavy systems to implement and to and to adopt. And then we're quite early in quality because the suite has been expanding a lot in quality. We started out with a product called Quality Docs, then we added QMS for a quality management system, then we added training. We recently bought a company called Learn About GMP for actually training content. And we have more product plans in the, uh, underway in the quality area. So quality, I think if you look if you look out towards, for example, 2030, people will be surprised at how big our quality business is. Uh, it's still quite early. Thanks, Peter. For the next question, we have Kirk Matinier from Evercore. Kirk, your line's open. Okay, thanks very much. Uh, Paul, I was wondering, can you just give us a sense on, on, on these um, customers that, that took down sales reps? You know, had they already been talking to you about products like Engage? And I guess, meaning, are you helping them actually become more efficient from a rep perspective already? Or is that something that happens and then you go back in and help them sort of retroactively deal with it? And then I just have one follow-up on, on, on the commercial side as well. Yes, I mean, all of the ones that we saw reductions at, and it was a handful in the enterprise, uh, they have all been engaged customers, and they all um, expand. I think most of them were even early pre-pandemic where they started at some level of adoption of engage, and then when the pandemic hit, they really scaled up. Uh, so, yes, every one of them ha has been actively using. And I would say even broader than engage, you know, are, are the full kind of full suite of uh, many of our digital products, you know, including email. So they were full-on kind of face-to-face -face set up. They had these digital channels turned on. And, you know, again, it, they, they don't, you don't want to overcorrect in this kind of market. It, it, it takes them a little bit of time to, one, to realize in, in, in uh, those games, but also to, you know, to make, make sure they're, they're optimizing for the long term. Uh, so, um, yeah, it, it was um, – long-time customers of, of Engage and, and, and really taking some of those productivity gains. Okay, that's helpful. And then that sort of leads to my second question, which is when you start thinking about the commercial cloud and all the products and data that you're bringing to the, to the fore for your clients, are you moving away from per-seat pricing? Meaning, you know, does at some point in time these discussions have to become more about outcomes versus just seats? And I was kind of curious where you see that going because to a certain degree – if you're making them more efficient, you know, they should be, you know, hopefully they're growing with you on a net basis anyways. I'm sure they are many, in many cases. But I was just kind of curious if, if you're kind of getting away from having more per seat discussions versus kind of outcomes-based discussions and, and whatever kind of nomenclature that might mean from a pricing perspective. Thanks. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. And, and certainly as the uh, commercial cloud portfolio has expanded, and particularly as we've added data products, uh, and, you know, data combined with software, uh, also services, the, the proceed model doesn't necessarily fit those kinds of products. So we, we've already seen that shift happening over the last couple of years where, you know, more and more of our revenue is coming from things like uh, ELAs. Um, you know, data, most of our data products are enterprise license agreements with customers. So we're, we're naturally seeing that shift away from, you know, uh, proceed to something like an ELA. We haven't yet gotten to the idea of, of outcomes yet, um, you know, and, and we're, we're, always trying, we're always very thoughtful of, as we introduce a new product in the marketplace, 
what is the right pricing model, what's the right licensing model for, for Viva, but also in particular for our customers. We're, we're happy to innovate in that area, and we, we have innovated in a number of places in commercial on how they consume, how they buy. Uh, so, yeah, that, that trend has already started happening. For the next question, we have Joe Verwink from Baird. Joe, your line is open. I, I wanted to go back to Vault Safety, and I'm curious, does the application and the criticality it carries influence other spending decisions at a customer? I, I guess what I'm wondering is that once Vault Safety is established, is it perhaps more prone to being paired with let's say the rest of development cloud and NetComs, for instance? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's certainly a very serious application because safety, if the pharmaceutical company doesn't have the right controls in the safety area, uh, they can actually lose their license to operate the whole company. So it's a very serious one. When a customer has their safety system, yeah, I think it's a net positive and would somewhat help us getting getting other products because they would benefit from the integration with safety. And wow, if you're trusting Viva for your safety system in the cloud, you're you're pretty likely to trust it and you're having a good experience. You're pretty likely to trust us in the, these other areas. So it's an excellent question. You know, if you step back, this is what we set out to do. You know, roughly 10 years ago, we started thinking about the development cloud, and this is what we had in mind, that we would have a, a suite of these applications for the drug development, from safety, quality, clinical, you know, regulatory, and that they would all fit together, and they would work for small companies and big companies and become the way that life, the life sciences industry does drug development. Uh, and so that it's happening. It, it's happening, and every one we get in helps every other one. That's great. Uh, and then you uh, referenced it a few questions ago. I know it was a small acquisition, but in learning management, I, I'm wondering is is training becoming a more important consideration? Would you kind of equate this to some of the um, developments like uh, realizing business consulting could ultimately be an inroad uh, to, to bigger things, but, you know, a better relationship with your accounts. Is training proving to be that for maybe the quality suite or a broader set of applications? Um, there are multiple types of training. This is true. For, for what we have here about learn about GMP, that's for compliance-related related training, good manufacturing uh, processes. So that's really related to our quality docs product. And the way to think that about that, it's sort of like uh, peanut butter and jelly. You know, peanut butter is good, but if you get it with the jelly, you get, you know, it's easier. Because our, our quality docs is about the training software. Can it be accessible? Uh, do you have the right roles and responsibilities? Is somebody overdue on their training? Can the inspector look at the records? Is it validated? Does it work in all your languages? All those types of things. But then by being able to come from, from, to Viva and say, but I actually need the training content. What in the clinical area for this type of certain area, what is the micro training that I can use to refresh my employees in Poland and in Spanish-speaking countries? 
you know, if you can get all that from Viva with good customer service, that's what the customers are looking for, strategic partner, because they don't really want to focus on that and build that themselves if they don't have to because they have other things they want to focus on. Thank you. And now for our last question, we have Brian McDonald from Needham Company. Ryan, your line's open. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my questions and congrats on a great quarter. Um, you know, I continue to be impressed by the number of new logos in Core CRM. I think 21 in the quarter, up uh, up quarter over quarter as well. We'd just love to to know, um, sort of beyond the, the preclinical success that you're having, like how the competitive environment looks and in the mix of maybe competitive replacements uh, in that number this quarter, and and how you sort of see that pipeline looking moving forward. Thanks. Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, so, you know, of the of the 21, we'll dissect that a little bit first. You know, many of them are from the U.S. market. Uh, those wins, and a lot of them are pre-commercial companies. Uh, a handful from from Europe, and then even the domestic companies in in, in markets like Japan, as an example, uh, domestics that may have a, a local uh, solution. So, you know, some of these are, are their first um, first CRM system, and, and you know, so we're not really replacing anything. And then others are, are competitive uh, wins. Uh, we did have a we did have an OCE IQVOC conversion uh, this quarter. It was a, a biotech, uh, our specialty pharmaceutical company uh, in the U.S. market. Um, there is there, there there's more. We are hearing more um, you know concern and frustration by a lot of IQV customers. So we're we're, you know, we're, we're gaining traction. And uh, but you know certainly one was a direct uh, conversion. Uh, but the, the vast majority are a lot of companies that didn't have anything in place already. Uh, overall, the competitive landscape is, is shaped, you know, shaping up really well, and you know that, that plays out in our numbers with uh, the market share gains that we have in CRM, the wins that we're having uh, that we talked about, 21 of those, um, and you know even gaining traction and uh, within with enterprise customers. So, really happy with uh, with how the competitive landscape is shaping up. Excellent. Thanks for taking my questions. We don't have any further questions at this time. I'll now turn the call over to the management for closing remarks. Thank you, everyone, for joining the call today. And thank you to our customers for their continued partnership and to the Viva team for their outstanding work in the quarter. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you all for participating. You may now disconnect.